Hello, and welcome to the Blind Shots Podcast. I'm your host, David Hill, coming to you from the 13th Green, looking off into the Little Back River, wondering how in the world I ended up here today. And this is Season 4, Episode 6. I've got something a little bit different for you today, a little bit different type of episode. Haven't done one of these in a while. There's no guest, there's no question and answer, no interview. It's just me. I'm going to tell you a story, and I'm going to talk for a while, probably sidetracked, end up in some rhetorical cul-de-sacs and have to back my way out. But it's just going to be me and you today. So here goes nothing. I'm going to tell you today the story of how I drove from Chattanooga to Savannah for 18 holes of golf on the side of a polar vortex and then drove back. That's right, that really happened. I'd hinted at it before. I think I had some laughs uh, with a few listeners about that. But it really happened earlier this year, and I'm going to tell you why and how. Uh, what you're going to hear is the story of a golf sickness. Uh, it's the story of golf addiction. Um, I won't say this is the ugly side of it, but it is um, when you're monomaniacally focused, this is what can happen. Um, <laughs> to add some redeeming value to this conversation, this is also the story of what it means to have a best golf friend. Um, it's going to be solo story time. I'm not going to drag him into this because, for a couple of reasons. One, I know for a fact he'd rather listen to a podcast than be part of it. That's just not his thing. Two, um, he is my audio, the co-star of this drama or comedy, depending on how you look at it, is my audio doppelganger. Doppelganger, easy for him to say. He's from the same part of the state. We have our own version of kind of a dialect same euphemisms and figures of speech that we grew up with. Most of them are not for polite society um, or are so politically incorrect. I can barely imagine saying them out loud anymore, but he and I understand them. Um, you couldn't tell our voices apart if we were on here with two microphones, so it might be all the same that I'm just here. It's the kind of friend, and he proved uh, on this, that he's the kind of a friend everybody should have one of these uh, adventure partners. We've known each other for 25 years, so all the small talk has all been worn out a long time ago. So, you know, it's that conversation where we don't live in the same town, but we pick up right where we left off. We don't talk on the phone either. That is just anathema to our relationship, really to our generation's relationship. We're both on the uh, very tail end cusp of Gen X, but we're young enough to embrace technology and we, you know, I know for a fact he does not talk to people on the phone. I do it professionally. I talk. I spend a lot of time on the phone in my real estate business. Um, but if you don't have to, you don't. He, you won't, or at least he won't. Um, so that's my friend John Mark. Um, it's the kind of travel companion that you get. You're fine with comfortable silences. I hope everybody has one of these. Be it a spouse, a best friend, a family member, somebody. Um, you know that that there can be a real peace in not having to make conversation with sitting quietly without talking. It's not something I'm good at, but, uh, well, I would argue, in fact, I'm really bad at it. I go out of my way to try to find common ground or some kind of common conversation point uh, with virtually everybody that I say more than three words to. Anybody I say any words to. Uh, so that's just me. But having someone that I can just be comfortable with sitting in a car for hours on end with just the occasional story or hypothetical to make us snicker and laugh at our, our very jaded senses of humor. Um, that helps too. Someone that's similarly jaded, reasonably aligned with you politically, 
Um, he and I have a very consistent philosophy. We hate everyone. So that makes it easy not to stray from that path. So with all of that, uh, what I'm giving you are, are a long introduction to one of the skills that you will need if you want to wake up in Chattanooga, play golf in Savannah, and then fall asleep in Chattanooga later that night. So here's what happened. So I have in, I have gone on several crusades, several golf crusades, mythical conquests, um, in attempts to see the legendary Sweeten's Cove in South Pittsburgh, Tennessee. Yes, that darling nine-hole course that is the the star of social media in the golf world. And frankly, it probably it lives up to the billing uh, with everyone that you might talk to that's been there in person. The Our first crusade to play, as background to what happened earlier this spring, our first crusade to play Sweden's Cove, uh, my friend had secured back-to-back weekend days. Now, this was 2021, so it, the Sweden's Cove had arrived on the scene, but with the, the down for Brown, the, the overwinter passes, he was somehow able to get a couple of February weekend days. So that was going to be a big deal. I think it was eight passes total. Just an ideal situation for us from the, the, the upper Mid-South or lower Midwest to shake off the rust to go experience this mythical mecca of golf without too much stress. Um, you know, at this point last year, 18 months ago now, I'd heard of Sweeten's Cove. I remember early on, maybe five years ago, listening about it on the Fried Egg podcast, uh, which was a glowing review and kind of kick-started. I guess it was accompanied by an article in the Wall Street Journal that kind of praised this this fantastic golf experience, this wonderful course in the middle of nowhere that you could just kind of show up and play all day, a, a true golf playground. And then I also remember not long after that hearing kind of a, or listening to a podcast, uh, Feed the Ball, Derek Duncan's podcast, that he had gone and I think it's fair to say was thoroughly unimpressed by the course. He thought it a little, a little extreme and maybe a little unfair. Um, kind of looking at it with an architectural eye. So I should, I should go back and listen to those if I can find them. Anyway, years had gone by and I'd always been kind of disappointed. Chattanooga is only like three and a half, four hours from here, depending on what part of town you're going to. And I had just never taken the time, never reserved the weekend to kind of go down there. And frankly, it was beginning to feel like the my crew, the guy, my golf guys that I run with, were the last people on earth that had never visited South Pittsburgh. You know, at, the, at its height, zenith of the kind of underground movement, you had things that just dominated Instagram. Instagram did more for kind of little known or little engine that could golf courses than anything in the world. Because you get, you get people, you get talented photographers that snap those golden hour photos with the long shadows draped all over the, the rumply ground and oh, it just looks like something you've got to go see. Uh, this was also at a time when... Um, Zach Blair, professional golfer Zach Blair, was at the height of trying to fundraise for the Buck Club, this mythical golf course he was trying to build. And he was going to do it with the guys that built Sweeten's Cove, and he would use events and merchandise sales to try to fund. It's like a, a really high-end, it was like running a Kickstarter campaign through golf tournament fundraising and, and merchandise sales for this place that didn't even exist. Well, he was, he befriended the guys that built Sweden's Cove 
and they were going to design his course. So it became, I mean, it, it, it really was kind of the peak of that golf bro culture there for a while. Now Blair is fine. I, I think he had a, a public breakup with King Collins, but he's building a course somewhere in South Carolina and the King Collins guys, the architects, um, Rob Collins is still an owner of Sweden's Cove. They are the darlings of golf design right now. They just opened a course out in the, the Sand Hills of Nebraska that just looks incredible. I can't, you can't find anything bad about it anywhere um, from golf nerds or casual hackers like the ones that have been there. Anyway, I had always had, I guess, just a little hesitation. It was too cool, too fast. It's almost, And then uh, the events of 2021 made it seem like maybe the golf universe didn't want me to get there because we had um, these two days of passes for eight people had a hard time kind of filling the spots. I think we ended up, we had maybe six or seven guys that had committed kind of given a soft commitment. And then the polar vortex hit. I, I long for the days. I look back wistfully back in time to the days when that term hadn't been invented yet. Because here's the thing about the polar vortex you can see it coming. It shows up on all the forecasts about seven, ten, seven to ten days out. So, um, you know, I had all the people that I've met that have been to Sweden's Cove say it's absolutely worth it. Worth it. It's the, their favorite place on earth. It, it, not definitely their favorite place on golf. So, I had set up this trip. I'd taken over my guys' passes. Um, I had reserved a cabin that was prepaid. It was a VRBO deal, but it was a, a pay all up front. So when the polar vortex was scheduled to hit, sensibly the guys at, at Sweetens Cove covered their greens and, and canceled our passes. I mean, it's what they had to do. You have to cover those greens and hope they don't die with this massive temperature, uh, whatever the reverse of a temperature spike is. Going from 50 degrees to 10 degrees in six hours isn't exactly healthy for anybody. So me being too cheap to, to lose a deposit, uh, I had figured out, uh, something else to do. That's when I covered in the the episode of this show, Kindness of Strangers in Black Creek, where we got set up with a couple of tea times at Mr. Stein's Black Creek course, which didn't save our weekend. It made my spring. That was such a fun couple of days. It, fortunately, we found something to do, but this um, too cheap to lose my deposit. In retrospect, that's kind of a an unfortunate theme of my golf life. So anyway, that was last year. That was the first crusade to Sweetens Cove, thwarted by a polar vortex. Fast forward 13 months for the second crusade of Sweetens Cove. Through their crazy online lottery system, I was able to secure a couple of passes for a Saturday tea time at Sweetens Cove this past March. So I thought, okay, for sure we're going to get this done because I got a couple things going for me. It's four instead of eight, so it's an easier group to assemble. It's March instead of February. There's, you know, there's no chance we get snowed out and iced again. I mean, this is basically the meteorological start of spring, a whole month later. Um, this was not a, a house renting group. This was guys get their own hotel rooms. Anyway, we could split, talk them into splitting two. Again, I picked it in order to save everybody, I think, let me check my notes here. Yes. $20, I decided to prepay these rooms in downtown Chattanooga rather than just pay full market rate. Yeah, so the forecast looks good. The, the average temperatures are fine. Everything looks great. And then about five to seven days ahead of time, 
all of a sudden the forecast for our day of arrival falls off the cliff and I get this sinking feeling in my stomach. And then I pull up a map that has the jet stream and that, that sinking feeling goes even lower. It's going to make a bad day for all of us. Everybody, basically everybody west of the Appalachians and south of Washington, D.C. is just going to get clobbered. And it's happening all, I cannot believe this is happening all over again. So I start watching, I don't know, four different weather apps. And I put end up putting all my faith in this thing called darksky.net, which if you haven't used it, you've got a couple of months to give it a try. It's the most hyper-accurate weather app I've ever seen. It's so good that Apple bought it, and it's going to be their new native weather platform because it's so much better than whatever all you iPhone users have in your phone right now. And basically screwing all the rest of us. Um, on Team Samsung because the technology will no longer be available to us. Anyway, so for the second time in a year, or second year in a row, I should say, the polar vortex intercedes with our conquest of the Sweetens Cove nine-hole course. Uh, to the credit, the course actually gets the email out a little earlier this year. I know a few more days in advance that it isn't going to happen, almost a week, to just ruminate and be depressed and scramble to try to find something else to do i start pretty quickly looking for alternate plans because again i've got these hotel rooms and i'm not going to waste mine or my friend's money it's going to be a bigger storm it's going to be a colder storm than the year before no one is going to be playing golf anywhere in the state of tennessee mr stein cannot save us in 2022 i start looking at regional forecasts trying to predict where it might be just warm enough to play golf on that saturday all of tennessee uh let's see North Alabama, mid to north Mississippi and Georgia, they're all just going to get clobbered by the storm. The air temperature is going to be well below freezing. It's going to be windy as hell. Um, my partner, John Mark, is the wind expert. He has this, I don't know which app it is that follows, but has these hyper-local, hyper-accurate wind charts. It's incredible. And so, you know, as I'm, as the days are winding down, the Wednesday turns to Thursday, um, Fred and Matt and, and John Mark and I are having both combined and separate conversations. I'm looking at like the the best case scenario, maybe something like Montgomery, Alabama. You know, where, where can I get to from Chattanooga in a day? Columbus, Georgia, maybe? Um, yeah, it's just awful. So, but I'm still going to go. One, I need to get out of the house. Two, I've got a hotel that's paid for. Three, as I mentioned uh, in the previous episode... I've got a day at Macklemore on the books, which is no small thing to set up. Um, so I'm still going. And the funny thing is, it's supposed to be really nice golf weather the day before. Like overnight, somewhere between this Friday and Saturday, uh, the temperature is going to drop 40 or 50 degrees, and it's just going to be hell on the other side. But the day before, it's going to be great. So I'm going to put my faith in that. Uh, and John Mark is still committed. He has family commitments. He's gonna he, he's dropping some family off in Russellville on the way down. So if he's gonna go that far from Cincinnati, what's another hour or two on to Chattanooga? So uh, Mark and Fred bow out. They're the sensible ones. Would have been a long trip. Don't think they're built for uh, the road to Savannah Harbor, as it were. So it, the, the die is cast. There are two of us, and we now we've got to prey on a weather report, and figure out something to do the next day. So as predicted, um, I have a 
literally like a tourism bureau, chamber of commerce day at Macklemore. It's sunny, it's warm, the views are spectacular. Um, I get there on the back end of a fog delay, so uh, there's not too much wind. It's just gorgeous. I have a great time. But again, thanks. I, I love the Friends of Macklemore program. Check it out if you haven't already. Um, and, you know, the one of the things I didn't mention in last week's episode, I took the surface roads back from Macklemore up in, uh, in North Georgia all the way into downtown Chattanooga. It's a beautiful drive. Those valleys on the backside, uh, below Lookout Mountain, down to the surface streets to some old, just wonderfully restored areas of Chattanooga. I think the um, it's the St. Elmo neighborhood in south side of Chattanooga. It just looked incredible. 100-year-old homes, restored, looked to be a pretty diverse neighborhood, uh, good mix of socioeconomic and ethnic diversity. Everybody was walking or biking everywhere. It was a really cool scene to be driving through at like dusk on a Friday. So um, get in, get checked in. I've got a couple hours to kill before John Mark gets there. UK, my beloved Wildcats are playing in the SEC tournament. So get checked in, find a a barbecue joint, not, you know, a couple blocks away. So uh, decide to go sit at the bar, eat the weather. Again, weather is fine at this point. Also, um, point of parliamentary procedure. How does a major hotel chain located at hotels in Chattanooga, Tennessee, not have the SEC network. I mean, that just, that I can see them not carrying the big 10. Maybe, maybe the ACC is a stretch, but really can't have the SEC network. I mean, that's just, that's very Asheville of Chattanooga. I was very disappointed. Uh, anyway, the barbecue is fine. Nothing to go out of the way for, uh, a note. Chattanooga is kind of in the no man's land on barbecue, in my opinion. It's you know it's not in the Carolinas. It's not been part of the barbecue wars of North Carolina or those heathens in South Carolina. It's too far away from the Delta to really get that that Memphis uh, inspiration. And really, it's a little too far north. It's not even Chattanooga's not even really in catfish country because every once in a while, some a good catfish joint can jump up and scare you with some good barbecue. But it was fine. Just nothing to write home about. Uh, welcome back to the hotel after the cat's victory. Weather's fine. But I know I'm just watching. I'm checking the weather. I might as well just leave the app open on my phone, all four of them. Uh, try to get some sleep. Wake up, I don't know, every 45 minutes. The... By midnight, the rain is just torrential. I've got a corner room, and it's hammering both sides of my room. I can see that the temperatures are dropping. Um, by about 1 a.m., the nightlife out on the streets has died down to nothing because there's ice pecking on my windows. You know, So I'm still I'm wondering, okay, what are we going to do tomorrow? But we had joked um, in text messages. And basically, yeah, we laughed about a lot of different possibilities, various Robert Trent Jones Chael sites. Um, you know, how far south in Alabama could we, you know, drive down and get back in one day? Would Top Golf be open? Could we waste a day doing, you know, go to the aquarium in Chattanooga and kind of just waste time? Would anything be open? Just so much unknown. I hate the unknown. I don't do well with the unknown. So, you know, I'm not sleeping. Gets to the point I can't take anymore. About 5.30 in the morning, I know he's up anyway. So I start texting back and forth, and we start joking. We're in separate hotel rooms. And again, we're not going to talk on the phone, so we just start joking back and forth. Um, we didn't come all the way to, to Tennessee to just hang out in our hotel rooms for a day. 
So he does a weather check, seeing if the roads are even passable by going out and making a Starbucks run. Of course, the one around the corner is closed, so he drives to God knows where, somewhere on the wrong side of the river. But reports back that the coffee's terrible, but the streets are passable. So we resolve, we kind of joke, like, hey, this place in Savannah's got tea times. So we just kind of get in the car and start driving. We head toward, we make it to 75 and head towards Atlanta. And that's it. We are on our way. Um, we resolve that we're just going to drive to the ocean. If we find something that's open before we get there, we'll stop and play. Um, but honestly, the, the club at Savannah Harbor, that's the name of the course. It's a, a Weston resort uh, right there off of downtown on a little island right in the middle of the river in Savannah. Uh, it, it's been on my, my radar for more than a decade. You know, we go to Hilton Head every year, and this always pops up on Golf Now. Um, I knew that it had, in a past life, hosted senior tour events. But in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, we're not really going to drive all the way there. I mean, I'll do it, but is he okay with that? And again, because we just have kind of un, a lot of unspoken conversations and we didn't have anything else to do, off we went. Um, there were a couple, and there were a couple places open, um, really kind of out of the way mom and pop backwoods courses that had kind of nominal presences on the website or online or on golf. Now, I think you got somewhere on the other side of Augusta and there was one that looked like it was open and his, he was checking weather. He was the nap, the weather navigator while I'm driving. He said, yeah, it looks like they've made it to 45 degrees, but you know, we had gone so far already. We're like, you know what? Let's just go to the ocean. We know they're going to be open. It's going to be warm, warmer over there. So we're driving. It's one of those where the drive from Chattanooga, Savannah is actually incredibly easy. It's just a straight shot right through Atlanta. And then once you get through there, it's to Macon and onto the coast. Um, so it's one of those drives that's either going to feel like it's forever or just goes by in a flash. Well, this is the former. Nothing went by in a flash on that day. The weather was really bad going over Lookout Mountain. It was still snowing um, all the way into Atlanta, you know, past Roswell, Marietta, all of it. Crazy busy roads at 8 a.m. for a Saturday. Like, we left pretty early, and there was nobody on the roads in Chattanooga. And by the time we get to Lake Lanier, I'm thinking we're going to get knocked into it with all the big rig traffic, which I just really wasn't expecting. But after we clear Atlanta, there's not much there. I mean, uh, I think it was like the same seven cars that we kind of moved in a, a fleet um, maybe a flurry of traffic in Macon, but there's also a really lot of, if you don't do a lot of rural driving, there was a lot of sweet Jesus. Look at that. And not in a particularly flattering way. So after we had had all the conversations that we could about our kids and families and careers and, uh, some of our favorite hypotheticals about living in places like Rockledge, Georgia, and the, the series of life choices that we would have to make that what that decision tree would look like. And, um, I think something that was popular again, we had, what would it be like to be a census worker here? You know, as we're driving past the exits for places like Statesboro, Georgia, um, but not an unsafe, uh, no precipitation. So, uh, if you're going to drive five hours on the same road, this was a pretty easy way to do it because the scenery did change. Uh, one note on the driving, something I didn't expect and something I still don't know how I deal with. So we get into the greater Savannah area where 16 is about to cross intersect with I-95. And we somehow get intertwined with a funeral procession on the interstate. 
Now, I'm not a terribly aggressive driver. I drive fast, but I, I try to be cautious in doing it. And I, I'd like to think I know what most of the traffic rules and customs are, the, the written and the unwritten rules. But I have no idea what the proper etiquette is in that situation. Okay, basic, I guess we'll do some, some table setting here. If you're, if you're not from the south or from a, a small town. In a small town, if you run into a funeral, you pull over. Usually there's a police escort, sometimes there's not. But you pull over, you let the entire procession go by, and then you restart your day. It's just like a timeout, everybody, and everybody does it all at once. Even in a town the size of Lexington, you know, half a million person metro, even if you're on one of the main thoroughfares like Nicholasville Road or Harrisburg Road, uh, and even on the other side of like a boulevard uh, of those, I don't think it's necessarily widely taught, but I still observe it. You pull over, and here we're fortunate because we have sheriff, um, you know, full siren, full light escorts. So you stop. You don't necessarily have to pull over if they're going the other way, but you stop and let the procession go by and then you just restart your day. But if you're on an interstate, if like someone's merging in in a hearse with their lights flashing and I'm doing 80 miles an hour on the interstate, I, I'm not sure, you know, there's no police escort. It's just the, the actual funeral procession. I don't know. The whole thing just made me incredibly uncomfortable because the last thing I want to do is stop on an interstate. And one guy did. Like our only real near-death experience was some old boy looked over, I guess, wasn't paying attention, looked over and saw it was a funeral, and he just locked him up, full stop, smoke, the whole deal, to show his respects. Um, this just gave me the panic attack. So my response is what I usually do when there's an unsafe situation on the road. I just floored it. I just floored it, diverted off to the next exit. I wanted to get the hell out of there. I didn't need a funeral procession, death, and uh, sadness around me. So it wasn't even the right exit. Had to kind of swing around some surface roads and a less than let's just say not the touristy area of savannah but i made it to the giant bridge made it out to the western so you know i think just around lunchtime we pull into what's a surprisingly crowded parking lot at the club at savannah harbor with enough time for lunch so let me tell you how this game worked out i'll give you the prelude we, we pull in um the the exterior of the clubhouse left a lot to be desired. Now, granted, it's Savannah, so they build things to be hurricane-proof. And on this little island with no protection, I'm sure they have to be extra careful with their investment. Anyway, we pop inside. Um, I can't remember where it... I think it, it wasn't as warm. Uh, the real feel wasn't as warm as advertised. So we added a couple layers in the locker room. Nice locker room, nice pro shop. We chat up the guy. He can't believe people are still coming in, but he gets it. Um, one vivid memory I have is I look up, and this was the weekend of the Players' Championship. And this was the Saturday. This is that Saturday at the Players where Justin Thomas puts on his his ball-striking clinic and everybody else is just hitting the eject button as fast as they can. They're you know missing the island green in 30 mile an hour winds by 30 yards you know just that crazy day where the you hit the ball and just the wee that's the the sound that the, the ball made the telestrator made everybody made um so we're we sit down in the bar and we're able to watch this just absolute train wreck of a golf tournament that's happening in florida and you know that's a couple hours south of where we are 
So we're, we can't help but stare out the you know big windows. This is a, a place, again, that hosted a, a senior tour event for years. So there's a pretty good view, a uh, pretty wide vista looking out from the, the grill bar room. And there's just stuff blowing everywhere. Uh, you know, that's the land of the palmetto and the palm tree. And there's just tree detritus everywhere, just blowing. At least it's blowing in a consistent direction. It's not swirling. Um, but at least it's, I mean... Yeah, it's sunny, and it's probably, at that point, it might have been 50 degrees, probably felt like 40 or less. Um, the flag sticks are in a permanent, like, they're not waving back and forth. They're just in a permanent upside-down J, just curled as hard as they could. On the, uh, going to the range was just a worthless, neither one of us had the stomach for that. So we went and hit some putts and watched the wind mess with our chip shots and off we went. That was all we needed. Um, on the first hole, I got a good primer of what the day was going to be like on the links. Um, I was uh, set up to hit a putt. The greens weren't terribly fast. Thank God the greens rolled kind of slow. Um, again, this is March, so they weren't at their, um, I guess, tournament best down there. But I get hit, I've got, I'm ready to putt, and I've got my back to the wind. And I get hit with a gust, and it shakes all my body parts. But it doesn't hit them all equally, because my, it even moves my putter. So I literally look like I'm trying to catch a snake and hit a ball at the same time. So I've got like three different furic loops going, and none of them are, are syncing up. So that was a good introduction to what uh, polar vortex wind was, was going Second hole, par four, we turned directly due west into the wind. And I miss hit a drive, you know, kind of hit a pushy block. And it spins high and right, and it might have gone 150 yards. I know it at least came back 30 yards at us, and that's being generous. Uh, so at that point, on on and two was gone. On and four was the goal. It turned out there were going to be, into the wind, there were going to be a lot of hybrids and long lines out of the day. And once you kind of... It was that quick. I think by then I had acceptance, you know, at those speeds, it's funny. It never feels like downwind. The wind is helping you as much as it's hurting you going into the wind. Uh, There's some old, I think Ben Hogan was one of the proponents of that, that you had to club up to go downwind. But you know, at that point I realized what the day was going to be. And you just kind of, you, you set expectations as you're out there getting some exercise, you're just having fun. Um, Picking target lines in a 30 to 50 mile an hour wind is comical and judging distances on a course you've never seen is just laughable. Crosswinds were totally random. You, you hoped you didn't catch a gust. They were incredibly powerful. Um, still I found out that I am able to hook the ball into a 40 mile an hour wind, um, and keep it left, not let it go back. Right. Uh, several occasions I hit the dreaded straight ball. Like you can do that in the wind if you keep it down and it's really great timing when you don't expect it. Um, that the front of that course, there's a few treed corridors, but nothing that really went like a wind block. I remember with, with his, uh, with my buddy's hyper accurate wind app, we're just sitting on a tee box and he goes blowing 38 gusts to 60. We just laugh. We, he almost fell out of the cart, just kind of chuckling, snortling, at what are we doing here but we can't help but laugh because we're having fun uh i'm sure we were doing match play we're keeping score almost out of just a bitter stubbornness 
and his desire to sandbag his index for the, the coming gambling opportunities. Um, oh, speaking of which, the most probably the most disappointing thing about the whole day is that we played by the rules, we kept a score, we posted them, and received no playing course condition correction for our scores. We put them into the gin system, and I think we were the only two people that did it. So that's not enough people for there to be a valid sample size. My 87 had to be an 87 on my card for months until it dropped off organically. Um, I generally think the the Golf Handicap Index Network, the gen system that the um, the revision is a, a couple of years ago is one of the really good things the USGA got right. Uh, they introduced a world handicap system so that now around the globe everybody can rate courses and and kind of keep track of handicaps in an honest way that that kind of travels it's the same now as it is in europe as it is in australia and the rest of the golfing world it's more responsive it's a little harder to game the system if you have bad motives however that being said i think the sample size requirement for a weather adjustment just it just ruins me because I obviously will play golf on days that no sane person would ever go out and play golf. Even in tournaments, I, I can't get a handle on the algorithm. I've never seen it applied or not corrected and thought, yeah, that's about right. Uh, it's more like I'll put in a score or I will let the, the tournament put in a score. And then three days later, I'll look it's like, oh, well, I got a stroke and a half that day or whatever. Like It's never super intuitive when I get a, a gen pcc correction or the amount of it like that just never never makes sense to me anyway i don't the law of large numbers is strange to me that's why i went to law school we don't do math um but it, now back to uh, savannah harbor we were not alone on the course we played through one group it was a nice couple um or maybe they played through us i don't remember anyway i, I imagine lots of people bailed at the turn there probably could have been a lot of nine hole scores but we did meet one couple that of all things, had driven down to Savannah Harbor from Pinehurst that morning. I think they were scheduled to play either Mid Pines or Tobacco Road, and they didn't like the forecast, so they just drove straight south to Savannah. And I've always, you know, one, Pinehurst was one of the places I was considering playing. I didn't think the storm uh, was going to hit that place, uh, but there just weren't a lot of tea times. But apparently we made the right decision. But I've always wondered, you know, if we... My wife and I have talked about living. That's one of our retirement daydreams is to have a place in Hilton Head. I'm like, man, is that is that comfortably drivable from Hilton Head up to Pinehurst for all of the weekend trips that I, I see playing out in my mind? So that tells me maybe it was. Nice folks. Uh, again, just more an example of the fact that we were not the only crazy people there. It's not like we showed up and the, the doors were locked and we just snuck on the course. There were other people out there trying to make the most of it. Um, most of the front nine was a laugher. The closing stretch, the wind got worse, if that was possible. Somehow there was a huge tailwind on a big, long par five with trouble on both sides. So you're just trying to keep it in between the rails. There was maybe the worst cross breeze of the day on a kind of a medium length par three that had a little trouble. Both of us, neither one of our balls even got close to the green, just laughably bad. And then, um, I think the clubhouse was in danger on the ninth hole. Uh, because all of a sudden the cross breeze switched because we changed directions on the home hole. Anyway, it was just a lot of laughing. A lot of us basically making fun of each other for terrible shots. Like, can, I can't believe what you just did and, and all of that. But maybe the worst shot, I asked John Mark what he remembers about this trip. 
And the, the second thing I can't mention because it's not good for polite society, but the first thing he remembers is the in, ungodly terrible drive I hit on the 10th hole. Uh, I think my hand was still hurt, and I tried to pick up one of those like blades of a palmetto tree, and it kind of cut my hand a little bit. Those things are sharp, man. That stuff is dangerous. Anyway, so we've got a you know a 40 mile an hour left to right wind. I got fairway with holes on both sides, so no trouble. So I'm aiming down. I'm on the 10th tee. I'm aiming left down the parallel fairway first. I'm like aimed at the first green. That's my target. And I hit a, when you do that, my, of course your body says, hey, you're aimed in the wrong place. Then it tries to correct for you. Your brain takes over, uh, your subconscious takes over, and you're going to hit it right. Well, when you've got a 40 mile an hour breeze blowing with your slice, it ends up on the 18th fairway, which is the, the parallel fairway on my right. So this ball was in the air for like 12 seconds because I hit it and it balloons and then it just starts going. And I'm almost out of breath laughing by the time it finally lands. The good thing is that it wasn't a perfect cross breeze, perfectly pop perpendicular. It had a little bit of forward. It was from the left and helping, I think is what my caddy would have said if I had one. So it was okay because it was so far right that the trees, that, like I didn't have a tree line to worry about and I had a pretty good angle to this green. Um, but it was just one of those wrong swing, wrong time, wrong place. And it literally went as far right as it did forward. Um, that's something, that's one of those, and that's what this day was about. It was, the whole day was a memory and there were, I think that's what I find with, we did this in Scotland too, because we played in some pretty windy, awful trips in Scotland where I have specific memories of specific moments that were just ridiculous. So, you know, that's one that's going to stick with us for a, a long time. Um, what else? The other things on the back, I guess it had been cold for about, I don't know, maybe about 15 hours at this point, 16, and randomly saw wildlife on the course, and they were all struggling. They they looked at us like, we can't believe you're here. You know, little field mice looking befuddled, um, hawks flying and vectoring like a paper airplane in a hurricane, uh, no gators or cranes, and most importantly, oh, no mosquitoes. In a 40-mile-an-hour wind, those little buggers, they can't navigate. So my one friend I know that has played that course, this club at Savannah Harbor course, he said, yeah, great course, liked playing it, never been eaten up with mosquitoes like that in his entire life. So we're out there with one, we're covered head to toe. I'm covered head to toe in Gore-Tex, using it as a windbreak. Um, but yeah, if you play in that kind of wind, you don't have to bring your Benadryl. Um, so yeah, that was a benefit. Uh, back nine of that course is really interesting. Uh, it's a good mix on the yardages, on the challenges, the routing. Um, it brings the little black river into play. As I told you, this whole thing is on an island in the middle of the river, uh, across from downtown Savannah. So it brings in some really good marsh and river views kind of in the middle of the back nine. Um, and strategically, it's not a good place to get distracted by like a pretty vista. So um, anyway, play those, have fun, try to drive a green or two, because why not? We got a forty mile wind, forty mile an hour wind at our back, and we're not playing the tips. What met? I mean, that would have been truly sadistic. Um, yeah, it's a it's an old Robert Cup and Sam Snead course, much like my beloved Kearney Hill. Uh, built exclusively to host a senior tour event. Um, 
quick sidebar, the Kearney Hill was built to steal the old Bank One Senior Classic from the Marriott Griffin Gate, which was a resort golf course built to attract the senior tour event, to attract golfers coming to Lexington for UK events, for Keeneland uh, race days, that sort of thing. UK basketball, well, not really basketball because that's in the winter, but maybe UK football fans. It's a concept that my Australian friends snicker and scoff at, but hey, the, the senior tour seems to pop up at probably a higher percentage of resort courses than any place else in the world. They are places that want to cash in and serve the golfing public on vacation, and who plays more golf than old people? So go see the senior tour. Anyway, it was a Western resort. It was priced like a Western resort to keep the riffraff out. Um, again, I mentioned kind of the clubhouse architecture designed to be hurricane-proof. There's a Maybe somebody can chime in on Twitter with this or, or on Instagram or even on the blog. There's a weird, like, unbuilt neighborhood adjacent to the front nine. If you look at Google Maps by about the, I don't know, maybe the fifth hole, there are like nine streets that kind of, not cul-de-sac, but it's like a little loop collection uh, with a handful of cross streets in each direction. And there are about six houses there. So I'm not sure if it's a failed development or if it's something that got wiped out in a storm and they just didn't rebuild it. It, it, It's very weird to have like four houses. And of course, in that wind, I I think John Mark put a ball in at least two of those yards. Like he's got this whole green space with nothing and he finds the houses to put one out there. Um, I know we move slower in the south, but this course has been there since the 90s, so you'd think there'd be more than six houses. Anyway, um, we make our way back there. Uh, uh, 16 and 17 are dead into the wind, so some more hilarity ensues. Trying to drive a, you know, a, a forced carry of about 150 yards into a 40-mile-an-hour wind. The club selection is important. Um, the strike is more important. I'll just leave that at that. Uh, but we make it through. We laugh all the way through. There are some rounds that you play that you just never want to end. Like you're having such a good time, you just can't. You wish you could go around for another loop. This was not one of those times. I was hungry. I was tired, and I was wind worn and beat up. I'd had fun. I was glad I could be able to say I did it, but I was glad to be done. The only problem, pro tip, the worst part about driving five hours away from your hotel room to go play golf is that at the end of the round, no matter how well it went, you still have to drive hours back to the hotel after the round. I'm sure it was cold outside the whole way. I think by the time it was getting ready to dusk was coming, the wind was letting up a little bit. I didn't feel, I didn't feel it with the car as much. Maybe we're just heading straight into it. I don't know. Um, we'd laughed our way around the golf course because it was brutal and ridiculous. So there really wasn't much to say on the way home other than the occasional chit chat to, to stay awake. We had, I think both of us laughed and accepted, uh, kind of the plane conditions, you know, and the, again, the, the thing about playing in just awful conditions is that the experience becomes completely divorced from score. How well did you hit the ball? Were you able to hit shots? Could you be creative? Did you get the best of the conditions on occasion? You know, Mother Nature's always going to win, but how'd you? did you put up a good fight? You know, as I mentioned, I've got 
some pretty vivid memories of Carnoustie and Ely and the Castle Course. Um, not so much at the old course. We had pretty tame weather at the old course, but at Leaven, I remember specific shots where there was just a howling wind in bitter cold conditions, and either you pulled off the shot or you didn't. And the ones you pulled off, I I am still proud of to this day, and will tell I will bore friends and family with the stories. And the ones that I didn't pull off are hilarious because what the hell did I think was going to happen? You know, um, so that that this trip to the Savannah Harbor that produced a lot of that. There are a lot of very vivid memories, um, and I'm I hope John Mark feels the same way. You know, he still makes fun of the the three fairway wide drive on ten. Um, there were several of yeah. We'll just leave it at that. Um, Oh, pro tip. When you make a drive, when you make that kind of drive to an unfamiliar town and you've got to get you know, back, get back on the highway before it gets dark. We had about an hour, maybe 45 minutes of daylight left after our round. I mean, we really, we couldn't have played any more golf if we wanted to. It's getting dark. It's March. Um, so we had a little bit to kind of get started back towards the mountains. Thanks goodness. Um, I mean, the, the roads in Savannah are fine. Atlanta was much less busy on the way back through. Chattanooga was quiet. It looked like it. It's everyone in town had stayed indoors all day and went to bed early. And who could blame them? I think by the time you know we said goodbye that night because I knew that I wasn't going to see him in the morning. We were just heading in different directions and we do different times. So as I plopped into bed that night, I had a big silly smile on my face. I knew I'd just done something had an adventure that I likely will never, ever repeat, you know, it, it, and there was a feeling of gratitude. Not only was there a feeling of kind of happiness, there was a recognition that, you know, it takes a special friend to be able to successfully embark on a kind of farcical crusade like that. The enormity of how ridiculous the whole thing was, is almost embarrassing. Like I should be embarrassed that, yes, I love golf that much that I would drive that I would consider even just driving from Chattanooga to Savannah to play 18 holes and then drive back. But it was a special, memorable day. Would have I enjoyed, you know, successfully conquering Sweetens Cove with three friends on a, on a sunny but chilly March day? Sure, I, I know I would have. It would have been great. But um, would I trade the road to Savannah Harbor for anything? No, I wouldn't. Memories were made. A friendship was sustained golf was played how can it get any better than that so uh if anyone is still listening at this point thanks for indulging this little trip down amnesia lane uh and figuring out how we you now know how savannah became to get mixed up in the mid-south golf tour of 2022 so with that i'll leave you with my usual conclusion remember sit up drink more water and when you have the opportunity and you know i really mean it because of what i just described do decide to go for it and take dead aim. So if you're wondering what some of those euphemisms or figures of speech that could be, uh, here, here's, are you Gen X or not? And here's a good test. What do you call the activity when someone rings a doorbell and runs away. Here's another good test. What did you call the game as children 
where one person had the ball and everybody else tried to tackle them. And my final one, do you have a name for the flying insect, insects that seem to favor hovering around the rear underside of a dog, especially in hot summer humid weather? If you can answer those questions with other people in the room of the opposite sex or older than you, if you can answer those questions in polite company, then you're not from where I'm from or you're not from when I'm from. I don't know which one actually is more important in that case.